0: What's going on, guys? Michael here, Energy360 Podcast with energy excited Exciting to bring you another interview with our favorite blockchain CEO, Andrew Bruce, over at DataGumbo. You guys, if you missed the first interview you did with him, we did—we really covered a lot of blockchain-specific stuff and how DataGumbo um, fits into the whole blockchain. I recommend checking that out on the world's greatest website, oilandgas360.com. This interview went a little more into a specific case study on LOB operating expenses that, uh, a data Gumbo release, we do a little slide work. It's really awesome. Actually, Andrew Bruce is the CEO, he is a great person. Him and Stu do a great interview. I don't even want to spoil it. I'm going to turn it over to Stu and kick this one off.
1: All right. Hey, good morning, Andrew. How are you today?
2: I'm doing great. How are you?
1: Oh, doing fantastic. You know, we were so thrilled to have Data Gumbo be a participant in the the oil and gas conference thank you very much for uh, stopping by and helping out
2: well thank you for the invite we got a lot of uh, we got a lot of action from that so i think you guys are doing a great job and uh, thank you very much for including us
1: oh sounds fantastic and i just want to let everybody know that you and i had a previous interview and we really want everybody to go look at that one and Uh, Andrew, I was kind of teasing because everybody just wants to curl up in the fetal position when they hear blockchain. And so if you could just kind of like, give me a two second thing or a little bit about data gumbo, a little bit about blockchain, and then we're going to roll into this real-time lease uh, operating expenses or LOE. So uh, if you don't mind giving us a little bit of background, that'd be fantastic.
2: Okay. Well, thanks for that. Um, Yeah. Data gumbo, Actually coming up with our birthday on the 19th, we have four years uh, since we were incorporated, office in Houston, office in Stavanger, Norway, setting up one in London as we speak, and then immediately after that one in uh, Saudi. Uh, So uh, about 38 people, no, exactly 39, 39 people. um, Started out as an IoT platform and got into blockchain to solve a specific problem much against everybody's will because we thought it was this bunch of baloney that had got nothing to do with anything real with industry. So it was kind of against everybody's wishes that we got involved in blockchain. Uh, but it solves a very, very specific problem, meaning that um, the way that the process works as everybody knows today is, you know, people sign field tickets and then use based on those field tickets, they send invoices, and then based on the invoice goes from the service company to the the customer. And then the customer is also you know, watching what happens in the field. So when the invoice comes to the customer, the customer says, well, that's not what our records say. Our records say something completely different. And so then ensues a, a, an argument, and uh, it reminds me of multi-Python. Um, and uh, and you, so you, you get a dispute that can go on for 120, 180 days. Uh, So what we're saying is, okay, let's combine our IoT platform so we can measure exactly what's happening in the field. We can use that to trigger terms of a smart contract, which is just a blockchain smart contract, and we can store the results in a blockchain. So now you've got an immutable record on both sides that neither one can change, but everybody can trust because you're measuring what actually happened in the field. You're not measuring two different versions of the truth. So uh, we use that to automate contract execution and change 180-day payment cycle and to daily if you want. So, very well. Cool. that
1: helps cash flow. And uh, before, like you said, on Monty Python, uh, that's one of my favorite movies. And when you see the guy stand there and say, what's your favorite color? Blue, no yellow. And he gets chunked off the uh, cliff. Off the that's bridge. That's exactly what happens to a accounting department, Andrew, when they don't get money and they don't understand why. And you come in with a cash flow solution
0: pretty
2: cool it's not it's not just cash flow right this is cash flow from the service company side but on the on the customer side you've got transparency right so how much how much money am am i spending on what and am i only paying for performance which is actually delivered so Mm -hmm. it's a it's transactional certainty for both sides So you're getting reducing the payment terms for the service company so they get paid quicker um, and then for the for the, the customer, uh, they've got much more certainty, and that's actually going to playing right into the LOE story. Because if you've got if you've got transactional certainty at a granular level, then you can you can use that to provide transparency at the uh, at the LOE level.
1: Well, a couple things, Andrew, uh, for our uh, listeners out there and our uh, audience, uh, you may have some slides to show as well. But could you give us a definition? of uh LOE and let us know uh what that is and how it can save folks
2: well the lease operating expenses so i mean right now in in today's market people are not really looking at capex they're looking at opex um and ways of reducing that so you know the the operating expenses of wells is really what this is about right so i mean what are the expenses associated with with the lease so um, that's what it's all about, is identifying those expenses. And uh, our contention is that there is a roadmap to being able to reduce those expenses uh, very proactively. And uh, like I said, I've got some slides. If, you, if you'd like me to share those, then maybe that would help. Absolutely, that'd Let be Let me bring those up really quickly. Course it's on the wrong slide, but that's okay.
1: You know they don't they don't teach that in college. You know how to handle technology, do they?
2: <laughs> um, well, when I went to college, PowerPoint didn't exist. We were still using uh, paper, tape, and punch cards. So um, I'm sure in my age,
1: programming in Fortran on punch cards. There's few people that understand that.
2: <laughs> yeah, we had a we had a professor in college who delighted in making us do the assembly language class on punch cards. Just to make sure that we understood the pain, and there's nothing like being awake at two o'clock in the morning and losing your deck or getting a one card out of sequence, and it's just.
1: Oh. Um, I still remember one of my test questions: how much eutectic material does it take to uh, keep a logging tool uh, going down at you know two feet per minute? Keep it cool, and I failed that one. Just thought I'd let you know.
2: <laughs> I've got more failures in my life than I have successes, but anyway. <laughs> So, so if you look at lease operating expenses it's really these categories right so you've got labor and supervision chemicals and supplies you can read as well as I can so what we've dis what we've discovered is by working with our customers that for this is for wastewater haulage uh, using numbers from uh, one of our customers uh, with an estimate of how much they can save, as you can see, $4.5 million um, by being able to automate the, uh, the haulage of water. Uh, some of it is um, over billing fees, some of it is in uh, back office expenses, some of it is uh, being able to get access to fast pay discounts. For example, there's a company in town that uh, leaves a million dollars on the table every month in pre-negotiated, undisputed uh, fast pay discounts because they can't get through the number of invoices quick enough. <clears throat> so there's significant, significant savings available uh, for water haulers, but the, water is just one commodity. It could also be chemicals or it could be diesel or it could be people or it could be equipment. It doesn't really matter what it is as long as it can be measured electronically you can automate the contract execution with multiple millions of dollars worth of savings in each one of the buckets. So what we're doing is we're using real measurements from the field, uh, from a single source that both counterparties or all counterparties agree to. And you're using that to trigger the terms of a contract which then automatically get executed. So that's that's how we're enabling these savings. And it's occurred to us that if you're doing that, each one of these categories at the bottom of the screen here is a multi-million dollar saving. Mm. Um, And some of them are low-hanging fruit, which you could do extremely quickly. Some of them are a little longer because there's no electronic source of data. But what falls out of that is that now, rather than doing this, where you've got a P&L, which you're looking at halfway into next month based on field tickets and and paper invoices, or maybe it's electronic invoices, you're actually being, you can now know exactly where you stand from a financial perspective in real time. So you can take this capability at the bottom of the screen to provide you real time view into your operation. So in a situation where the market crashes and you've got a portfolio of Wells, and you need to decide very quickly and very accurately you know which ones you want to shut in, which ones you want to sell, which ones you want to double down on. You've got real time visibility into exactly mm-hmm. what is happening within your operation. So if I'm the CFO and I'm signing off on a financial statement, I'm doing it with a degree of financial certainty. Um, but if I'm also looking at you know my portfolio and deciding how I want to adjust, uh, my, my company, I've got also got transparency, so it falls out for free, uh, which is which is a real eye opener for us. Is my God, we can actually not only can we save millions of dollars in the bottom line, but we can also provide transparency on the top line.
1: You know, Andrew, uh, managers cannot manage sixty days in their ears; they have to be able, in this market, manage day by day or within you know a couple of days to make a bona fide accounting decision
2: to save that money. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna hire you as my straight man because this is this is the next slide, right? So okay. if this purple line at the top is typical um, process that it takes to make take uh, pay an invoice. It's actually simplified uh, with some of our customers. There's 34 steps in, in, in paying an invoice. And what we're changing that to is make read a sensor, um, and make a payment so it's very much like going to a gas station swiping a credit card pumping the gas and, and then you leave why do you need this big long process every single step in that process adds expense and right now none of us can afford the expense so yeah thank you for being the straight man and the other thing with the little line at the bottom there in the world of covid Now you don't have people chasing other people around trying to get pieces of paper signed. So it becomes a touchless transaction. So in the world of COVID, that's also extremely interesting. So you're not just saving money, but you're also uh, making it a safer work environment.
1: So this is a, what is your tagline going to be? I don't need a mask now or I don't need no stinking mask. Is that what this is?
2: (laughs) Touchless transactions. I think that's, that's, you don't need a mask if you if you if you're not touching anything or you're not chasing anyone, right?
1: Oh, that's fantastic! You know, uh, I was uh, unfortunately or fortunately working with uh, several cell companies and putting in cell tower uh, radios and things, and not to mention any names, but it was horrible. Uh, you had one little tiny error it turned it into 90 days and another little error turned it into another 90 days cash flow was horrible working with cell companies this is phenomenal i wish i had this
2: yeah and there's a there's an interest there's an interesting aspect to this right is you can see the second line from the bottom there, it says greater than 90% automated matching and approval. That's for the first go around, right? So the objective is to get that to be 99%. And so how that solves the problem that you were just describing is you, all the ones that you got a, a match within, and then the, 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 level of accuracy that was required by this customer was in one, within 1.6%. 1. So assuming that all the transactions that are within 1.6%, they, they all go straight through. So you don't hold up the whole invoice for the, the exceptions. So, I mean, there's always going to be exceptions. There's going to be you know, bad data. There's going to be a lightning strike or whatever. There is going to be a reason why there are some transactions that, that need to be disputed. So you have to have a mechanism for disputing and resolving those disputes within the system. You can't go outside the system. Otherwise, the system becomes invalidated. But uh, you, you don't hold up the, the whole invoice. Like you said, you know, there's, one small, there's one small issue on the invoice, and so you send it back. And then there's one, another small issue, and you send it back again. And you're, you're sending the whole invoice back for one little dispute, and that kills people. And this kills the whole supply chain. And the the hey, Andrew, the bar- thanks, oh, sorry.
1: Uh, thanks for the, the slide deck there. Uh, we are gonna put in the 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 um uh show notes uh some more material for folks to do that. And that illustration was dead on with the card uh, key punch. Uh have you ever dropped it on the way to the test? That's exactly what that would be is just having those Fortran you know key punch everywhere when you're trying to improve cash flow. That's exactly what you were talking about right there.
2: Yeah <clears throat> we've, the, the, we've had a very interesting question so two times in the last week we've had an EMP company call us and say, if you were designing a new EMP company, what systems would you need hmm. And it's a very interesting answer. There's a lot of companies now providing measurement as a service. So you don't have to have the CapEx of having the the sensors in the field. you find companies who will provide that as a service. We can connect to that with a blockchain. And then you reflect the debits and credits in an ERP. And that's it. So all the other systems that you've got built in and all the infrastructure that we have in place, because of systems that are 20 or 30 years old, now become redundant so you've got all we've got the way that we've always done it because you've got the systems of 20 30 years ago we don't we, we don't have to have those anymore so you, that's completely changes um how we negotiate contracts so for example an oil company no longer has to buy well first of all they don't have to have the capex of putting the meters in the field but then you don't have to buy chemicals based on a delivery of chemicals you buy on, on utilization. So you buy gallons part per hour, you buy density per section or you buy, uh, you buy it as a service. And because you've got the ability to automate the contract, you can have some pretty interesting contractual terms that up until now have been impossible to administer because you've got checkers checking the checkers and everybody trying to figure out, you know, did I receive what I, what I'm being billed for, and am I, am I getting paid for what I actually delivered? And it, it becomes an administrative nightmare. I'm um, but but now-
1: oh, sorry, Andrew. Uh, is this really turning into, a in the EMP space, uh, inventory or products, uh, materials on demand? Is that yes. what I really understand? So you only pay for what you're using in a week as opposed to buying a six month supply?
2: Absolutely. That's exactly where it's going. So if you think of Walmart, right, Walmart doesn't own the inventory on their shelves. You only, I mean, Kimberly Clark gets paid when you, when you swipe your credit card for um, a checkout, right? So that's pretty much where it's going is these service companies are going to get, I mean, there's going to be whole new commercial models, which, which come out, which, which ultimately are good for the industry.
1: Now, I mean, that is phenomenal as not only uh, in OPEX. If you're a manager sitting there on a well and you know that you're going to need it next week, operationally, this whole thing is tying in together for a smoother operation. Um, Just from my experience in having these projects and trying to figure out project management, this is cool. I mean, this is some really good information for managing.
2: Well, it changed you, you flip the roles right rather than rather than the oil company trying to manage their inventory why not just tell the the service company um, you're responsible for managing the inventory um, so the, 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 whole, the whole the whole equation gets switched
1: isn't that crazy that is that is where you know you take a look at EMPs they know how to drill oil they know how to do these things they don't know how to manage inventory
2: i mean it's it shouldn't be that core competency right
1: uh, absolutely um what other tidbits that do you have for us where's data gumbo going in the future in this area and what do you see coming around the corner Andrew?
2: oh boy that's (laughs) it well i mean We've, you know we've got proof of delivery now uh, with a, with the customer base so, so what we're seeing is uh, we've gone from having six leads in our in our sales funnel to over 120
0: nice
2: uh, so we're seeing a you know, massive uptake in in adoption people are starting to say hey, we don't want to get left behind we want to make sure that we're we're, we're involved in in and streamlining and cutting our our expenses. Um, so then, it's really getting into okay, how do we how do we think about our supply chain as a whole? Because another interesting statistic, if you talk to the Construction Industry Institute, the CII, forty one percent of the contract value for a capital project is in what they call transactional waste, which a lot of it is is interest, right? So if I've got a big EMP company that contracts with an EPC company, which then contracts with a smaller company, a smaller company, a smaller company. You've got the supply chain, um, the, the the company with the strongest balance sheet, the EMP company, doesn't realize that the they are paying the interest charges for all of those participants down the supply chain. So the, guys at, the four guys at the end, paying 18% for factoring expenses, that is all being paid for by the EMP. So what we're seeing a lot of interest is how do we put our whole supply chain on one of these blockchain contracts so that you can then knock out all of that 41% of expense, which is completely unnecessary. So if we can measure deliveries, it's just like the LOE. If we can measure deliveries and we can get paid on time or daily, or if that's what the the counterparties decide, but whatever whatever the counterparties decide, you can get paid on time for each one of those deliveries. You're cutting that 41% out of the expense of these capital projects. So that could be done for the whole supply chain of, of oil and gas, right? So there's these massive delays and expenses that we've got built into our processes, which are actually unnecessary. So we're starting to see companies really thinking about it rather than just doing one contract at a time. Let's look at our whole, uh, our whole supply chain and what that leads to is something really interesting is that then you can start start looking at what is my carbon footprint of my supply chain So, and oh. regulatory reporting and other things as well. So you get a lot of other benefits that come from it.
1: That's intriguing because uh, carbon footprint, net zero, everybody is going to that. Calculating that would be really cool but i'm kind of wild on how you would figure that one out
2: because that's huge well you um by by definition with with some of these smart contracts you are measuring utilization right so if i'm if i'm looking at a diesel engine uh, and i'm getting paid for the performance of that diesel engine then and i know the efficiency of that engine then i can start to calculate the carbon footprint of that engine for example so the more that people start thinking about uh, the carbon footprint and how you can use these smart contracts, not just for payment, but also for looking at the carbon footprints and the efficiency of the engine, I mean, it's all documented, right? So you can measure it. So therefore, you can, you can calculate the carbon footprint quite logically.
1: That is cool. I'm sorry, that is just really, really cool. That's a side benefit of the LOE as well as blockchain, having the knowledge is power.
2: Yep, yep. So, and then the other thing, I mean, there's, there's one more aspect which is really interesting as well as the IP ownership. So IP and provenance, right? So there's people looking at 3D printing. And
0: okay. how, do
2: you, how do you track the IP for that? But then the other one is provenance of, of material. So, yeah. Um, I bought this piece of pipe, which I think came from Germany, but it actually came from somewhere a little bit more dubious. And I, this is a true story. I, I put that into a platform, which then rusted in a record, record short amount of time, and my platform fell into the ocean, um, which is a bit of a bad day. I was going to say something rude. Um, and uh, so you know, being able to track the provenance of pipe or the provenance of chemicals I didn't know this, but did you know that companies cut the chemicals just like you cut cocaine? So you buy a bag of chemicals and you think you bought a bag of pure chemicals, but actually it's half full of sand. Um, and how do, you, how do you track the provenance of of, uh, of uh, anything? So that's, that's another aspect that you can put on blockchain as well.
1: Oh, my goodness. See, I've only seen that in the movies where they cut the cocaine down and all that. I, I would have never guessed cutting stuff down with sand. I guess
2: yeah. I'm too personal. Yeah, I—that's. I, nor what I, but I, apparently it's done.
1: You know, that's that's having a bad day, Andrew, when your rig falls into the ocean because you bought some bad steel. Um, yeah. Yeah. that's a horrible story.
2: Yeah, so I I think to answer your question, you know, what where's where's all this going? It kind of goes back to what the statements I made earlier on is: people are starting to understand that there's new contractual. Mechanisms that can be put in place. So you're starting to see companies templatizing their contracts so that they can standardize them. Um, so that you and there's 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 legal companies who are starting to say, here's my legal contract and here's a smart contract that goes with this legal contract to implement the commercial intent. Mm-hmm. So you're starting to see people thinking about new ways of doing business. And then providing templates um, that can be used and enforced across an organisation, so that there's a there's a there's a shipping company in town. I mean, when I say in town, I mean Houston. They negotiate 5,000 uh, voyages of shipping crude oil around the world every single year, and they've got 13 people to do that. So inevitably, there are mistakes made, and it's not anybody's fault. It's just human you know, frailty. Um, so what happens is they're negotiating each of the, the versions of these contracts in track changes in Word and emails. So they'll send a clause to their counterparties to negotiate and they go back and forth and back and forth, and then the contract gets signed. Okay, then the brown stuff hits the fan and something happens. Um, what version of the contract are we actually ex- executing under? And we find out that, we, we did a cut and paste with the previous contract because it's easier and quicker. The previous contract was going between Vancouver and Seattle and this one's going to Libya. Um, so I de- by definition, I need different insurance indemnities. I need different, uh, different, whole different clauses in my contract. So how do I automate that and make sure that the contract that I'm executing is a contract that I expect? How do I version that contract? Um, and then how do I, how do I provide the ability to then execute that contract automatically? So I think that's where it's gonna go is people are going to get more and more understanding about how to negotiate contracts uh, with the ability to then automatically execute them. So you've got got reduced liability on the contractual side, reduced expense on the contractual side, then you've got reduced expense um, on the actual execution, and you've got better trans uh, transactional certainty um, when the actual operation, which gives you better financial transparency. Sorry, a whole bunch of ease there.
1: You know, uh, Andrew, for our uh, last little uh, chit chat here, um, in Europe, uh, and they've got a lot of changes coming over from your, kind of like MIFID II, as it came over, and then we're looking at ESG but we're really looking at the carbon footprint. BP is really uh, taking on and saying we're morphing into a uh, renewable kind of uh, um, uh, you know, uh, energy company, if you would. Um, as you have offices all over the place, it seems to me that this is really a worldwide story for uh, Data Gumbo because... If you're out uh, talking about uh, enabling folks to define their carbon footprint, this is phenomenally huge. It
2: is, it is. I mean, this is, you have to think of this as a, on a global basis, right? I mean, if you're talking to an oil and gas company, by definition, you're a global company. Uh, right. So you have to be able to provide the infrastructure to to support that. So uh, I, if I'm talking to Equinor, I think they're operating in 132 different countries. So you have to be able to think about the, the contractual structure um, and footprint of, of a company like Equinor. I'm using Equinor because they're an investor in the company I mean, It they could equally be Aramco or anybody else or, or BP. Um, but you're right. You Once again, if you start thinking about the whole supply chain And if you think about the supply chain, what interest charges can we take out of it? What inefficiencies can we take out of it? And what rolls out of all of that is the carbon footprint. So that you can realistically and with a degree of certainty report on your carbon footprint so that um, from when you are a company like BP that's trying to transition, you're, you're not doing it based on estimates. You're, but you, And it's just like the natural certainty, you're providing a degree of certainty on your carbon footprint reporting. So because you're doing it based on the operations from the field that you're measuring. So it all comes down to the certainty that's derived from the measurement in the field. And that's that's the whole secret.
1: Oh man, and thank, that is really cool, uh, Andrew. Uh, We are gonna have the information in the uh, show notes on this interview because uh, this story is so important for uh, carbon net zero and everything else. And uh, Andrew, we just really appreciate your participation and good um, uh, relationship with uh, the oil and gas 360 and Intercom. Thank you very much
0: for stopping by Andrew. It was a great day.
2: Well, thank you very much. As a, I always enjoy these interviews. You never know what's going to ca- come up next.
0: Guys, I'm telling you, high-level stuff there from Stu and Andrew. We really appreciate, Andrew, all of your time that you spent on both interviews. If you want to check out all of the previous Energy 360 podcasts, find the, this podcast feed on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube. You can also find it at the world's greatest website, oilandgas360.com. Just find, just go to Energy360Expert. With that, guys, we will see you on the next interview. Until then.